Jewish Latin Princess, episode 33, Demystifying Investing with Debbie Sassen. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Today, I have a special episode with financial planner and money coach, Debbie Sasson, demystifying investing. Debbie is the creator of the six-month online course, Smart Women Build Wealth. And I brought her on the show today because she just launched the course for the second time. And I want her to demystify the world of investing for my audience. I've heard before from that for many women, investing seems like a very scary thing. And I don't blame you. I've been there before. Hopefully, you've gotten the chance to hear many financial experts whom I've had on the show, including Debbie herself. Debbie was here on episode eight. And on that episode, you might have learned that Debbie started her career as a financial analyst at Goldman Sachs in New York and London. She later on was a portfolio manager and economist at the Bank of Israel. And at that time, she had a financial wake-up call and decided to get serious about her personal finance. As a result, Debbie eventually decided to start teaching people like like you and me, how to manage their money. You will really love that episode and you will hear all about Debbie's journey and her approach to money management. You may have also heard episode one with Barry Tesler, episode four with Barbara Stani, or episode 14 with, with Amanda Steinberg, and perhaps even episode 27, not so long ago, where I discuss personal finance with Farnoosh Tarabi. And so you've been around Jewish Latin princes a lot. There's been a lot of experts talking around the topic of money. So at this point, you might be going, hmm, maybe. I do need to start paying more attention to my money. Maybe it's time to do some quote unquote adulting around this area of my life. Yes, yes, it is so super important. And I want to tell you, it's not as scary as confusing as you might think. It's not as scary as confusing as the media makes it out to be. I bet you all of you have learned things in your life on your own and become very good at them. Well, investing and taking care of your money is no different and you shouldn't delegate it to somebody else. You should know what you're doing. So what? if no one taught you. So what if it sounds confusing? You've been there before. I mean, we're women. We do this all the time. You faced other areas of your life where you had to learn it all on your own. And I guarantee you that you're very happy that you did, right? So ladies, you could totally do this. Today, Debbie gives you a very thorough and fundamental overview about the world of investing so that you keep becoming familiar with these terms so that the lingo becomes second nature and you feel empowered in this area of your life. I tried to keep the conversation very focused and clarifying the importance of long-term investing and the terminology around investing so that we could really demystify it for you. And hopefully you will want to join her course, Smart Women Build Wealth, and make 2018 perhaps the year where you really turn your financial situation around, where you take the necessary steps to feel empowered around money and in control of your money and financial life. And so I've partnered with Debbie to bring you a $100 discount on her signature course, Smart Women Build Wealth, using the the code JLP at checkout. Ladies, that's $100 off the regular price. That's an awesome offer. All right, let's do some demystifying, ladies. Get ready because after this episode, you'll be talking investments like a pro. Here's Debbie Sasson.
Debbie Sasson, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess again. Thank you very much, Yael. I'm really excited to be here with you. It is such a pleasure to have you again. Debbie, you've been here in the past. You were here in episode eight, and I encourage everyone to go back and listen to that episode to get a sense of Debbie's background, her um, her journey to becoming a financial planner and a money coach, and you know, after many years of being in the corporate side of investment and, and finance, and what makes you so awesome to work with. And also in that episode, it was a very thorough episode. We went through money mindset things that we have as women and all sorts of interesting things that women need to overcome when it comes to personal finance. So today I wanted to get a little bit more specific with you and I wanted to kind of demystify investing specifically for my audience of Jewish women because you've launched a course very successfully. Now it's going to be your second time around and it's Smart Women Build Wealth. It's a six-month online course on financial empowerment. So I feel like it's the right timing for you to help us demystify investing. It's such an important fundamental part of building wealth, yet it seems so foreign and, I dare I say, scary for so many women. So let's start with um, you telling us the why. Why is why should women be thinking about building wealth? Mm, good question, Yael. So let's start with the practical side. Um, mm-hmm. And that is that if we look only at statistics and life expectancy and what happens with women in the world, it's very, very clear that between 80 and 90% of women will be managing money on their own at some time during their life. And that could be because they're single, they just they never got married. It could be because they get divorced and they don't remarry or whatever. Um, so they're managing money on their own. And the last category is women who are happily married. They stay married, you know, to their old their old age, to the golden age. And then statistically speaking, um, you know, women have a longer life expectancy. We often marry men who are a couple of years older than we are, and mm-hmm. we will be the surviving spouse in our partnership. And we will need to take over the reins. Like, let's say that, you know, the way the division in the family works out is that the man, which is traditional, um, the man is managing the, the investments and the long-term finances, and the women sort of manages the domestic finances and the budget and, and making sure she can stretch the food, you know, to, to feed the family for the month. So so women often end up um, in their later years, whether it's the 60s, the 70s or the 80s, but they end up being the ones in charge of managing their money. And I, I see this with my clients. You know, I can think of one particular client, you know, at the moment whose husband passed away a couple of years ago. She's in her mid 70s and she doesn't understand at all what her financial statements say. She she doesn't understand how to manage them. Um, The transfer of a joint you know, bank account from, you know, the Mr. and Mrs. just mm-hmm. to Mrs. after after her husband passed away. That was something that was, you know, perplexing to her and she she had difficulty doing. And you know, I think that let's say our generation, you know, you and me, we have mm-hmm. more um, you know, understanding and control around what's going on with the day to day finances. But be that as it may, we we don't have role models um for the most part of of mothers and grandmothers who could who could show us how to do this. Right, right. So, so true. So why is it so important that we have an investment strategy or that we invest part of our money rather than having it all sit in cash in a savings account, which studies have shown over and over that it is, that's the vehicle most women choose to park their money. Yet 
there is something more that we should be doing with our money. Why is that so important? Yeah, it's actually interesting when you said that the studies show that women tend to keep their money um, in cash. That's their investment strategy. I, I recently did a random survey of women. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the majority of the respondents um, who you know want to invest, they said that they actually have money in cash, but they don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So it's it really um, you know corroborates what what you found. So it's important to invest our money because number one, sitting in the bank, it will lose purchasing power. It will lose part of its you know ability to buy things for us. Who inflation? I mean now nowadays in the Western world, whether it's the United States where you live or Israel where I live. Inflation is very low, close to zero, you know, Mm -hmm. so prices are not going up rapidly. And in certain sectors like electronic goods, let's say prices are actually dropping. Um, but over longer periods of time in a growing economy, prices will go up. And in order to keep pace with the rise in prices, you know, like I, I say, like for the eggs that you're eating and the bread and the milk and the vegetables and the fruits, like clothing, you know, things, the basket of goods and services that we buy, um, healthcare. Wow. If we think about healthcare, right. um, especially as we age, the price of healthcare jump. And we want to make sure that we have the resources that we need to take care of ourselves. So investing is the way to do it. Investing is the way we put our money to work for us so that we can take care of ourselves. Um, you know, so many women that I've spoken with are, are scared. Um, they're scared of losing money. Mm-hmm. They're, they're frightened of, you know, they don't know who, whom they can trust when it comes to a financial advisor. So let's address the the first, first point that they're scared of losing money. So if you leave your money in cash, you're losing what we call opportunity cost. You're losing the ability to buy more goods and services because the value of your money hasn't grown with the prices of the goods and services that you want to buy. So there's a loss. It's not a loss you'll see on paper. You know, your Mm -hmm. $10,000 will will still be $10,000. But if your cost of of living goes up from, let's say, for example, $50,000 a year to $60,000 a year, hmm, well, you can't buy as many things anymore with the money that you have in the bank because it just won't get you as much. So there is a loss. We just don't feel it the same way. Meaning we need need to have our money grow faster than the rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So, mm -hmm. That's, so that's number one. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other part about not knowing whom to trust, and that is really scary, especially, you know, we tend to remember those dramatic events in the market, you know, the Ponzi mm-hmm. scheme, Bernie Madoff, and right. you know, let's say littler incidences that were similar that, that cropped up. We, we remember those. So if we learn about investing and we don't turn a blind eye what's going to what's going on and we understand, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to go deep into the intestines of what's going on with these with these financial instruments, but some basic understanding enables us to ask powerful questions and get good answers. And that will help us to figure out, you know, who is a trustworthy financial advisor and who's not a trustworthy financial advisor. And so we have to learn to trust ourselves. And I think women do have an intuition. And if they empower themselves and they get the knowledge and understanding, they will be able to sniff out, you know, someone who is trying to pull the wool over their 
over their eyes. Right. I, I, I think, like you said, women do have an intuition. And it seems like your survey um, also backs that up. You said the women felt like they should be doing something else with their money, yet they have it sitting in savings because they don't know how. I feel, I've heard this many times, I feel like the how is where women often get stuck. We think investing is something, you know, we see all these movies, I guess, we're influenced by the media and the movies. And we think now we have to be following the stock market and be good at numbers or, you know, you know, fancy stuff like that. And it can get a little bit overwhelming. Um, we think it might be a complicated process or sometimes women, I've heard before, they think that they have to have a minimum of, yeah, I don't know, half a million dollars to start investing. Um, so meanwhile, we keep putting off this process that we should be engaging in. So can you walk us through the how and the options that are available nowadays um, for women to actually get started now that they know intellectually, okay, I should be doing this. How do I do it? So I think that we're living in amazing times because the barriers to entry, you know, to start investing are so, so low, which is fantastic. Yes. And when we start doing anything, you know, if you can start doing it slowly, it makes you feel more comfortable and more confident. You know, Mm -hmm. yeah, once upon a time for an investment advisor to talk to you, you needed that half a million dollars. Otherwise, he wasn't going to invite you into his beautiful (laughs) office with his mahogany wood table at uh, <laughs> but but nowadays there are what we call robo advisors it's, it's a robot really that uh, that does the investing for you um, there are also apps on your phone that will will do the investing for you you know a couple of them in the states are acorns and stash to name two of there's a you know a couple of hands full of, of different options out there um, so it's easy to get started and there are some you know apps that like like I think Acorns or Stash, one of them, where as little as $5 um, can get you going with your investment account. And the amazing thing is, is we sort of talk ourselves into this tizzy and say, okay, I just need to read more. I just need to learn more. And when I have more information, then I'm going to be confident and then right. I'm going to go and I'm going to invest. But really the cycle works just the opposite way. When we start investing and we have some skin in the game, um, when we when we have to start, you know, understand what's going on that's when we get the confidence like we put five bucks into the market we're like okay I see what that did. That's not so bad. Let me add another $5. Hmm, a week went by. Let me do that again. And as we're involved in the process, that's when we develop the confidence. That's when we, you know, get stronger money muscles and we really, you know, we have a desire to to figure it out because we're there. It's part of our life. Yeah, it's, we have to start getting our, 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 our toes in the water. <laughs> that's, I already say, I've been quoted, you know, on, on my site, whatever, many times that you, you know, you can't learn to swim by sitting in a deck chair at the side of the pool drinking a pina colada. Exactly, exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned the different options nowadays, because it's true, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have access to these robo advisors or to apps like Acorns. I think with Acorns, they they round up, like if you pay a dollar fifty, they take up the 50 cents and they put in your investment accounts, or I might be confusing it, but there's yeah, some yeah, sort of that's, that's what right? we have that in Israel, but yes, that's what I, that's what I understand also. Right. And then you have robo advisors such as Betterment and Wealthfront and Elevest and all these sites that with very little money, you can start opening accounts and all you really have to do is online, tell them, you know, kind of what your goals are, how much of a time horizon you're looking at, and they do the rest for you. And you can even automate $10 a month just to get 
get comfortable and, you know, increase it over time, right? So, exactly. so you set the market, which is such a broad word. And again, I feel like people have an image of Wall Street, numbers, charts, graphs, scary, right? The lighting bulbs come in their brains. So why don't we define some terms um, that are related to the market so that people can get comfortable when they hear about them. And like you said, the more we know, um, you know, the more comfortable we are. So why don't we start with, well, let's, let's just just tell people what the stock market is, stock and bonds, which is the fundamental, but sometimes people get them confused and what their role are in a portfolio, for example. Okay, so right, you just said stocks and bonds mm-hmm. and stocks, which we also call shares, not in the United States, but in England and Australia, they're called shares. And there's a general term equity. So those three are right. all synonyms, stock, shares, equity. Mm-hmm. And when we talk, when people talk about the market, the market's up, the market's down, of the time they're talking about the stock market. Mm -hmm. And a stock is an ownership, a little tiny bit of ownership in a company. So if, for example, you own stock in IBM, then you are a partial owner in that company. And there could be a million different owners all over the world. uh, But as IBM grows and they develop newer, better, faster computers, let's say, and the company is more profitable. So the value of your ownership in IBM increases. And and generally, over long periods of time, you know, there is a business cycle where economies are growing, and sometimes economies are shrinking. But over a period of time, you know, nine, 10 years, and, and even longer, the global economy expands, businesses as an aggregate expand. And if we own stocks in many, many, many different companies, because you and I don't know, you know, IBM might be doing well today, but it could be that tomorrow, you know, because of all everybody loves to buy Apple computers and Apple phones or whatever, it could be IBM won't exist. Or in the, you know, the PC world, it could be that Dell will be more popular, popular or Lenovo. So IBM will drop in value. But you know, but we can't tell what is going to be um, in the next 10 years and 20 years in the global um, economy. So someone who wants to invest in stocks, if he, she, we're talking to women, if she would buy many, many, many different stocks, well, then the law of averages is that, you know, she will be profitable with her stock investments over the long period of time. And let me just share that one easy way of buying many, many stocks in a lot of different companies, Mm -hmm. um, one easy purchase is to buy a fund. And there are two main types of funds. There's a mutual fund, or an exchange traded fund. Um, For our purposes, there really, you know, there isn't a a big difference between them. The most important point to understand is that a fund is a collection of different investments. So you can have a a fund that invests in all of the the stocks that are traded in the United States. Um, People often hear about the the S&P 500. Those are the 500 largest companies that are traded on the Standard & Poor's Index. Um, and if someone invests in the S&P 500, then she owns little pieces of the top five, you know, the largest 500 companies in America. And mm-hmm. again, you can do that by either a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund. But that, that's a collection. Now, and that is that the same as index funds, Debbie? So an index fund can be the S&P 500. That's one of a number of index funds. Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. be um, a fund that invests in the total U.S. stock market, 
which includes those big 500 companies, plus some medium size and some smaller companies. And there can be an index fund that only invests in the medium sized companies. There, is, there are index funds that only invest in the small companies. There are index funds that do small and medium. Um, there are index funds that invest in companies in England, companies in Europe, companies all over the world, um, the Far East. So yeah, an index fund is a collection, again, and mm -hmm. that will follow a specific market. So that whatever that market is doing, however, whatever the performance is of that particular um, financial market, the index will replicate it. And so if U.S. stocks are doing well this year, then your index fund will be doing well if the market is down like it was in 2008. So your index fund will be down as well. So just to clarify for people, when we talk about women investing or building their 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 wealth, we're not telling them to become day traders. We're not telling them to go stock picking. We're really telling them that when they develop either working with a financial planner or working on their own with through a robo-advisor, um, a long-term strategy where they build a portfolio that is composed of different types of index funds or ETFs that, you know, could cover the global markets and maybe even bonds, which I guess I should ask you about. That's how they're building their portfolio. They're not just sitting there and saying, okay, I'm going to buy Apple and I'm going to buy IBM and I'm going to buy, you know, that's not what we're talking about, right? Correct. A hundred percent. Okay. So what are, what are bonds and how do they fit into the whole picture? Okay. So, so bonds are, are the other main what we call asset class, the other main type of investment that people that people buy when they're buying um, assets that are sold, bought and sold in, in the financial markets. And a bond is a loan. So when, for example, IBM wants to build a new production facility or needs to do some research into how they're going to be making the next best uh, computer, they need to borrow money oftentimes, especially when you're building production facilities, uh, they need to borrow money in order to do that. It's a large investment. So a company like IBM, Apple, whatever, they can go to their bank and borrow the money, just like you and I want to do when we you know, buy a house. We need a mortgage. The bank loans us money. We have that, that huge you know, amount of money up front, and then we obviously give it over to the, the seller of the house. So when a company wants to expand production facilities overseas, they will borrow money from the bank and then they will go over to China or wherever and they'll build a facility. Now, an alternative to borrowing money from the bank is borrowing money from investors, mm -hmm. something called a bond. So IBM could issue a bond for a million dollars, um, which means they're borrowing a million dollars from a bunch of different investors. And they will then um, agree, based on the terms of the bond, to pay it back over five years, to pay it back over 10 years, again, depends on what the terms of agreement are. And usually the bond has a what we call a fixed interest rate, meaning that the investor, also known here as the lender, right, to the company, will, will earn, could be 3% interest or 4% interest, whatever it is, a, a certain amount of interest on the loan just like we pay back our bank when we borrow money from the bank, we pay, we pay an interest rate to the bank. So that's something I think intuitively many of us understand because personally we're, we're involved in, in bank loans through a mortgage. So it just mm -hmm. 
you know, another name for something that we, we already understand. Right. And in, in a portfolio, usually we have some sort of combination between stocks and bonds. And typically, correct me if I'm wrong, as we get closer to needing that money, be, be it retirement or, or something else, the portfolio is balanced in a way that perhaps it's more weighted towards more bonds as they are a safer investment. But perhaps when we're younger, in our 20s, 30s, even our 40s, the stock market, which has a little bit more risk, yet it pays higher um, returns, your portfolio w- would be weighted more towards um, stocks. Right. Does yeah, that make so any sense? Yeah, um, yeah, generally. So let's just back up one step yes. and, and answer the, the question that we didn't ask, but why is there a difference in return between stocks and bonds? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> okay, so the easy one to I almost to, to understand is that stocks, um, the, the growth of stocks, the, the return that you get from stocks pretty much mirrors the growth of the, you know, the global, the global economies and mm-hmm. other companies and, and a investor in stocks or the companies will grow on average. Um, we've seen this over long periods of time. Um, in the United States, we have, you know, over a hundred years of history and the average over long periods of time is about nine to 10%. That's what a long-term investor in the United States could expect on her stock portfolio. But bonds generally have a lower interest. There's an interest rate that's connected with them and that interest rate is, it's a given ahead of time. You don't have to say, oh, is the global economy going to grow or shrink this year? And, you know, we get paid um, through our uncertainty um, in the stock markets, you know, right. taking on more risk by not knowing how the the markets are going to perform, then you will earn back, um, you know, you get paid for that for that risk by getting a higher return on your investments in stocks. So so bonds, because they say up front, yeah, we're going to pay you 3% or 5% or whatever it is, that's what you're going to get. And and we, we know that, we know it ahead of time. They're, they're less risky than stocks because if there is some, let's say, disturbance in the financial markets or there is a risk of default. You know, the company is going to go bankrupt. So the lenders of the company, which again, that's the bondholders, the lenders to the company will get paid back before the owners of the company. And that's individuals like you and I. Correct. And mm-hmm. everybody else. Yeah. So, you know, the let, I mean, it's, it's not IBM. They have, they're not going bankrupt. Not that I see anytime soon, but let's just say for argument's sake, um, that they are, you know, they will sell off buildings that they own. They will sell off all the computers that they have in the tables and the chairs and sell everything in their production facilities for scrap metal, whatever it is. They will have a sum of money. They will pay it out to all their lenders. And then if there's anything left, then the owners of the company will be able to get paid back for their investment. So, you know, the lenders have a less risky um, share in the company or, you know, ownership interest in the company or not ownership, whatever their, their investment is, is lower risk than the owners. So mm-hmm. that's another reason why um, bonds are more stable, less risky. And as you correctly said, there, you know, a person who is um, developing her investment portfolio should have a mix of some of these conservative, more stable investments together with some of these more volatile, riskier investments that history has shown us will grow over time. And as you correctly pointed out, when we're younger and when we have the 
ability to take on more risk because you know what goes down usually comes up that's what we, that's what we've seen right we can ride out the waves you know so if you know someone who's 40 years old and loses um it's not nice to lose you know 20 or 30 percent of the value of your portfolio but if over the next 10 years you hold on to it in your portfolio then doubles and triples and quadruples in value so you're, you're still going to do okay but someone who's 70 and needs that you know that person might not be working anymore and still needs to pay for food and electricity and water and health care um you know someone who's 70 or 80 he she doesn't have the time to ride out the waves in the financial market they're going to need to you know take care of themselves today and they're not going to be able to go back to work usually to do that so as you said they will generally want a more conservative portfolio meaning more bonds in their portfolio less stocks okay and so you mentioned the fixed interest um that bonds bond bondholders get paid and we didn't mention that when we talked about stocks or the stock the equity parts of our portfolio we we are benefiting from the increase in price over time as the economy expands but also there's dividends that are paid to the um, shareholders. And so we benefit from those. As we own portions of those companies, those companies pay us parts of their profits and that could get reinvested and keep growing as well over time, right? Yep, exactly. Okay, so tell us, there's there's a lot of conversation in the financial world recently and that's, I think, a good thing. And I want to bring it up because people may have heard me here talk about it or elsewhere or as they're now getting more familiar with terms and they're going to go on these websites and they're going to hopefully start reading and getting educated, they might hear the terms active versus passive investment. So could you walk us through those? What does that mean? Okay, so so passive just like the term says, it's like, you know, do nothing. <laughs> you know, we just like sit on the side and uh, and we don't make a lot of decisions. Um, mm-hmm. When you brought up the term index funds before, you know, if we invest in an index fund that tracks the S&P 500, you know, there's no extra decision making involved. It's passive. We say Which is why I love it. <laughs> right, exactly. But you know what? We are very, very busy people. Um, you know, we're wives and we're mothers and we're taking care of a lot of other things going on in our life. And, you know, one of the reasons, you know, I said in the beginning that, you know, women haven't been taking care of the money because they've been busy doing other things. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, if you're in a passively invested portfolio that's in an index fund just tracking the market and you're going to get exactly what the market gets, it, it's like set and forget and you don't have to think about it. You just keep adding your money in over time and over, again, long periods of time. Investing is a long term game. It's not because you're hoping to marry off your daughter next year and make a killing in the market because the markets could go away, you know, go against you um, in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's, so that's passive. Now, an active, actively invested portfolio means that there is an investment manager um, and there are two types. So let's just say an active means that someone is making decisions. There's someone who is judging based on research or based on charts or based on intuition, which markets are going to go up, which stocks are going to go up, which bonds ha- you know have more value. 
somebody is looking at the market and making a judgment decision and actively deciding and buying and selling. And, and today there are two types of actively managed portfolios. One could be a fund where there's a manager who, let's say they're investing in US companies. And rather than just buying all of the most solid companies there, and there's a ratings for companies, you know, there's a single A company, a double A company, a triple A company, mm -hmm. and the triple A is, is a higher quality, um, less risk of default than a single A, and then they're lower. Um, so that investment manager can be deciding which 10 companies or which 90 companies you know, he believes will be the most profitable over time. And he will handpick them and he will choose in which companies to invest. So that's an actively managed fund. Okay, something that's new, um, a, a newer development is that there are um, portfolio managers who are actively managing the portfolio using indexed funds. Mm -hmm. So making a judgment call, like I think that this year, America, you know, the United States is going to be growing at, you know, their, their economy is going to grow. So I'm going to invest in the United States. It could be next year will be the Far East. The year after it's going to be Europe. But they're using index funds, but trading in and out of them and making, you know, judgment calls on which areas of the economy or which sectors, you know, we talked earlier about large companies, small companies, medium companies. So an active um, investment manager might decide, you know what, large companies have been doing really, really well for the last five years. I think it's time that the small companies are really going to grow. So I'm going to put extra, um, you know, extra percentages in my investments in small companies. So there are many ways to to create or, or to build an actively managed um, portfolio. So I want to bring out that in an active and when we talk about active investment it means that there's somebody getting paid to do these to make these decisions to make these movements to make these strains so that's these these trades so that's something that people need to be aware of because it translates into fees for us the client so um i personally am averse to fees because i've gotten burned with those before so can you can you talk to us about that a little bit Yes, yeah, so the the research shows that a an investor who is investing in a passive portfolio will beat an active manager about eighty percent of the time. I told you I love passive investing <laughs> because of because of because of the fees. Um, you know, it and oh, there are but it's and it's not just it's not just the fees because. You know, there the active manager, investment manager, could be doing more buying and selling. So there could be taxes that are connected mm -hmm. with. You know, you sell something that was profitable, and now you're realizing gains, and you have to pay taxes on that. Right. So that's that's one way. I mean, there could be trading fees for you know buying and selling, and also it could be that they get it wrong. Right. Um, right. The, the Nobody can predict the market. <laughs> An investment manager has to get it right, and nobody has a crystal ball. Um, and I think in this day and age, when we have exposure, I mean, you and I are not going to go investing, investigating and, and researching different companies. I mean, you know, the best investor of our generation, Warren Buffett, 
yeah, so he goes and he looks at the financial statements and he has so much life experience in, in this area that he can pick out and make good judgment calls. And of course, sometimes he also gets it wrong, but on average, you know, he's done an amazing job. He has the ability and the training, the experience to find those companies that do well over time. But you and I, we are not going to be able to do that. And many investment managers, uh, you know, they, they all have exposure to these same research reports and the same information. And they're not going and visiting companies like Warren Buffett does. Like, when, you know, Warren Buffett invested in a company in Israel. He came here and he looked at the company and he could get facts on the ground. But the guys who are sitting in their offices on Wall Street, that's what they're doing. They're sitting in their offices on Wall Street. They're not going and um, necessarily and meeting the companies to know what's going on, um, you know, behind behind the scenes. So it, it's, you know, everybody has exposure, I think, to a lot of the same information. And then the final point that I want to make is let's say for argument's sake that there is an investment manager who manages the portfolio actively and he does a really, really good job and has a great track record for like 10 years or something like that. Um, number one, who says that his golden touch is going to continue for another 10 years? Mm -hmm. There was there was an investment manager by the name of Bill Gross. He was called the Bond King. He was doing amazingly, amazingly well picking bonds for a very, very long period of time. And then about, I don't remember if it was 2010 or 2011, he lost his golden touch. And all of a sudden, the Bond King was not doing as well as he had been doing the previous, you know, long period of time. So he could have a great track record, but then things change. Um, number two is there could be an investment manager. Again, um, he's doing really, really well. Let, let's say you have your money invested with, let's just call it ABC, you know, financial manager. Mm -hmm. um, and the manager does a great job for you. But how do you know that after 10 years, he's not going to get a better job offer from XYZ financial manager? And, you know, it's going to be by Lahitra Ot and he, he's going somewhere else and your portfolio is stuck over at ABC while he's gone to work at XYZ. Um, so there's no guarantee that you are going to have maybe that, you know, 20, 30 year longevity with your investment manager um, that you might want because he's doing a great job, but he might be moving on at some point in your financial or your investment journey. Right. And I, I think the bottom line is that we nobody can predict the markets. Um, when we are talking about this, we're talking, like you said before, about long term. Um, and over the long term, the markets perform. They just grow. They just perform better than, you know, a, a, a regular savings account. And I, I don't know if you heard this, but I did hear this maybe about a month ago. Did I read it or I heard it in a podcast? I'm going to try to look back to it and put in the show notes, but Warren Buffett himself said that for the average investor, he actually recommends passive passive investing. So I was very happily surprised. He, he has recommended that um, numerous times. Uh, yeah, I've read it. I've seen it. Yes, yes, yes. Cool. Cool. Debbie, let's talk about retirement accounts specifically because most people actually do have act. Most people are actually probably already investing without even really realizing most people have access to retirement accounts through their employer, which means that again, hopefully they are investing. Yet I've seen that 
often women don't know how to take advantage of their employer's retirement plan. And I don't blame them. I mean, you get your job offer, you sign the paperwork, and you get handed a folder with a picture of an older couple walking towards the horizon on a beach or looking at the sunset. And then in it, there's a bunch of papers with words that you don't understand and charts with numbers. And you're supposed to check some boxes and give it to your HR manager and you have no clue what you're checking, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, case in point, that was, that was me. I don't even remember getting the folder when I when I started working at Goldman Sachs in 1985. I I, I don't even re have any recollection that I ever checked any boxes. I, I, have, I had a retirement account. I don't even think that I discovered that I had my retirement account until you know we had our sort of financial wake up call when we were already in Israel. And yeah, and I had no. And here I was working on Wall Street. I was working in investments. I was like in the center of the activity and I was clueless. Same thing happened to me. I used to work at JP Morgan and I don't, I do remember checking the boxes, but I, and I remember thinking to myself, I have no clue what I'm checking. And then that was it. <laughs> but isn't that crazy? Like here we are working in banks and we don't even know what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if somebody had had an a meeting of new employees and told us, are we supposed to know? Were we supposed to learn from osmosis? I have, I have no clue. But luckily nowadays, there's people like you, there's people like me. Hopefully, we're resources to others, and we can, you know, educate each other and hold each other's hands. And you know, by you know, in a couple of years, we will feel very, very comfortable with all this. So walk us through it. What do we need to know and how do we take advantage of these retirement accounts that are accessible through most employers? Right. So the, the first thing is, is, is to, to open up. I mean, they give you, I guess, a package of papers that is quite thick and to start reading it um, is probably a time-consuming and boring act. Yes. Um, so and there's, I, I guarantee you there are, a hundred more interesting things to do than to read your employee benefit package. But it's important, you know, when I look at my investments, when I finally woke up and realized I was in what we call the stable value fund, which mm -hmm. is something with a fixed interest rate. Um, again, I, I wasn't paying attention. I get it, at some point it was five or 6%, which maybe looked to me at the time was good. I don't know. Um, relative to inflation and what other possibilities, I, I obviously lost a, a bunch of, you know, potential investment growth over time. But when it started going down, as interest rates came down, 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 and it went to 3% and then it went to 1%, and I was also having my, you know, financial awakening. Mm -hmm. I the research was like, oh, what? And I, and I Googled, like, once upon a time, there was no Google, right? When I started right. working in 1985, there was no Google. But I, you know, Googled stable value fund and I realized that it's, just a little piece, you know, piddly bit of interest that I'm going, I'm getting. And at that point, I made a decision to put my money into a stock fund because I'm not going to touch that money till I'm in my 60s. So mm -hmm. here I was in my 40s and I, and that it took me 20 years, about more or less, I don't remember exactly, but you know, to make a decision um, to invest my money for long-term growth, but, but nobody ever talked to me about it. I had no idea and the financial lingo was incomprehensible to me. I, I mean, let's just say I was working on the bond floor, not the stock floor, you know, the trading floor at Goldman Sachs. So maybe I could say, oh, well, I didn't really know. I don't know. But <laughs> it took a good long time for me to take charge of, of my money. So people, yeah, they, you know, if you spend 
a couple hundred dollars having a consultation with a financial advisor. Like, and I see this people are resistant, they're reticent, they don't want to spend the money to take care of themselves. And you know, you hire someone for an hour to explain it to you so you can that's a great idea like two hundred dollars you know if you think about your money doubling and quadrupling and more and more over time because you made a better decision those two hundred dollars would have made me a ton of money i want to tell you (laughs) yeah mine me too It it would just make so much sense for people to realize that investing in themselves and investing you know taking care of their money I call it, it's an exquisite act of self-care. When you manage your money, you're taking care of yourself, both for today and for the future. So that's that's one thing that people with retirement plans can do. Um, Interestingly, somebody called me today and she, you know, made Aliyah from America. She has a 403B, which is similar to a, a 401k, another retirement plan, but for people who work in the government sector, the teaching sector, yeah, doesn't know what's going on with her 403B. Um, so, you know, spend some money, spend some time taking care of yourself and then also figure out, can you make contributions to your retirement plan? Um, because the employer will put in some money, but do you as an employee also have the ability to add money to it? Because, you know, if you're investing, the first place that you want to invest is where you get the best tax advantages. And, if, mm-hmm. and, you know, if you're putting your money into a retirement, we call them retirement savings plans, but really they're a retirement investment plan. Um, you're de- either delaying taxes for the future. So you're not going to have to pay taxes today. You'll pay it when you take the money out when you retire. And with some retirement accounts like a Roth IRA, um, you're putting money in after you've already paid taxes on it. And you'll never have to pay taxes on it again. You'll you'll accrue growth um, and returns and dividends and everything. And you'll never have to pay taxes on that again. And if you live to 120 and there's money left there, you give it to your kids and they don't have to pay taxes on it. So it's just money that keeps on giving. Right. And I think it's the best way to pay yourself first because you've, you check that box where you check off whatever amount of your pay paycheck you want your employer to invest and you choose where they're going to invest it in. But you've say, you know, say you choose 10%, 15%. And I always say, you know, try to put the most you can, right? And that money is not available for you to spend. You learn to live with the rest of the money. So you're really taking care of your needs first, your future needs, because in the future, you're going to have all that money that's been growing over time. Correct. Yep. Great. And in many cases, an employer matches money so you're getting free money on top of the money that you're putting in from your paycheck exactly yes right and for people who are scared of the word retirement you know i know jews we're not so big on retiring you know we we always want to be contributing it's not something that you know then people might think okay so this is not for me but just to clarify that doesn't mean that you have to officially retire it just means that after a certain age after age 65 you have access to that money if you want to keep start your own, I don't know, do volunteer work, start your business, write a book, whatever your new creative endeavors in your golden years are going to be, you know, that's all good and fine, but you want to have access to money <laughs> right, yeah. to live. And yeah. that's what we're talking about. Right. And I think also, you know, if, if most of your audience is in the United States, I think you have the United States, but also outside, but for U.S. citizens, um, you know, whatever 
they might be getting from Social Security. You know, I don't know. Will Social Security be around? Good question. You can read the doomsday reports or not, whatever. The million dollar question. Yeah, exactly. But let's just be optimists and say it will be around. Um, For many people, what they're going to get from Social Security isn't going to be enough to share their financial needs. And not only that, but we didn't talk about this in the beginning of the of the podcast. Um, but women will often spend time out of the workforce because they are taking care of their kids, you know, right. giving birth, they're taking care of the kids, they take an extended maternity leave. Um, sometimes, like, you know, I'm sort of a sandwich generation at the moment, um, you know, and women sometimes have to take time off from work to take care of their parents. And that means we could be contributing less, we could be earning less, contributing less to Social Security, contributing less to our pensions. Um, that's another reason why women also have to take charge of their money to make sure that we maximize the different avenues that we have for investing and for saving and, and making sure that we will have all of our needs taken care of when we are, you know, when we're older and we can't go back to work at 85. Right, right. So we mentioned here um, employers' retirement accounts, but just also to clarify, people who you know, their employers don't offer them or people who are entrepreneurs, there's things called like a SEP IRA, which is a retired, there's, you know, there's, you could open your own retirement account on your own in these online platforms that we mentioned before or through your financial planner. So it doesn't only have to be your through your employer, you, you should be looking at ways that you could be saving and investing towards um, the later years, you could do it on your own. Correct. Yep. 100%. So Debbie, this has been amazing. I feel like we've gotten like a basic personal finance, basic personal finance course. And, um, um, we've gotten a lot of information for people to really digest and really start becoming familiar. And like you said, at some point to ask questions, to, you know, ask deep questions. And when you get answers, not to feel like you have, you don't know what you're, you know, what you're being told or to know to what would be the follow-up question. So I'd like you to walk us through also through your, the 12 modules of your upcoming course, because I think it touches on a lot of this, but there's a lot more there where people are going to get a real, real financial education and really feel empowered to take steps on their own and manage their money on their own. So can you walk us through them? Sure. Uh, So I would say that the, course is split up maybe rather than going step by step I'll I'll talk about different areas which the which the course covers fantastic so the first area that it covers is a lot on our money mindset you know what we believe about how we we have the ability or don't have the ability to to manage money um thoughts that we like you said oh I don't I, I'm not good at math so I can't manage money or my mother, you know, or my father, whatever, told me that I was no good. I was a spender in the family, not the saver in the family. There are so many um, not practical aspects of managing money that we have, and sometimes they're just buried in our subconscious and we're not connected with them. And it's important to bring these to the surface, to explore them and bring them to the surface and understand what's going on in our inner world because so much of how successful we are managing money has to do with our mindset around our ability to to manage money, um, whether or not we deserve money, um, especially, you know, 
if we, you know, religious Jews and we want to be living a spiritual existence, like, can we even want to have money, grow our wealth? You know, like, are we allowed to do that? Mm -hmm. You know, am I worthy of it? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Like, there's a lot of areas that we can explore, discuss, and, and we do that in the beginning of my, my program, Smart Women Build Wealth. And just to, just, it's so important for us to do that because very often we don't even realize that we might be self-sabotaging our financial success due to these subconscious beliefs that we got ingrained through experiences in childhood or our religious upbringing, our, our cultural upbringing, whatever it might be. So it's, I'm very glad that you're bringing this at the beginning of your course um, because I guess we need to know what's going on in our, in our world. <laughs> oh yeah. And it's, it's a never ending um, exploration or discovery because whenever you, you know, uncover some of your, let's say limiting beliefs or money blocks, you know, there's always something else that's lurking underneath. So we just have to continue this work um, mm -hmm. over, over a lifetime. You know, it might be that we'll get to a stage of, you know, being okay with it and then we'll take a rest from it and then we'll come back to it another time. You know, even what you and I have both talked about, about like we were there working on Wall Street and we messed up big time. Um, we have to also forgive ourselves for making, you know, dumb money moves and making mistakes. Like I'm very open that yes. I did something really stupid and, you know, thinking I was a hot shot, you know, Wall Street, you know, <laughs> kid and, and lost our family $50,000 in practically the blink of an eye. Um, we have to just like realize that we're not alone. Like here, you and I are talking about it openly and right. we give ourselves because if we're just knocking ourselves over the head saying, you're so stupid, you're so dumb. How could you do that? You messed up. You know, that will just drag us down. That, that negative energy mm -hmm. will prevent us from getting that confidence and, and being empowered around our money. So yeah, we have to deal with that, that emotional um, and mindset area around money. It's, it's critical. Okay, so we do that. What else do we do on the course? Uh, we get really, really um, intimate with our numbers. You know, we want to know what's the money coming in, what's the money going out. You know, I really am in favor um, of people tracking their numbers and because and we also realize things when we start looking at them and we get connected with them and then we can make different choices. So, you know, that's that's a practical aspect. But there's a lot of practical information and and i think that that's actually one thing that differentiates um my course from a lot of other courses out there in the online world many many women in particular are working on the money mindset but there are many fewer opportunities to be combining the sort of emotional um, psychological and practical aspects so um you know a lot of what i do is also the practical which includes you know getting clarity on your numbers um, understanding what's going on in your financial statements, like those retirement plans that we never opened, but hey, mm -hmm. let's, let's let's bring them out into the daylight and try and figure out what's going on. And they're so confusing. And the sometimes I've I've seen different financial statements from different countries in the world and different investments. They make you like I don't know, do cartwheels in order mm -hmm. to figure out. Like, did you make any money last year? Like, right. you know, <laughs> right. what's the performance of your portfolio over the last 10 years? Like, they don't tell you. So you, you, you have to be like a, um, a, a detective almost mm -hmm. about what's going on. So we, we look at the, the financial statements 
And then we start setting goals and understanding, hey, you know, what do I want to achieve in the medium term? You know, let's say, for example, I have a son who's going to be bar mitzvah in three in three months, God willing. So I need to make sure that I have a pot of money to pay for the bar mitzvah. Um, I have five children who are single. I have three married children, but another five who, God willing, you know, at the right time will get married. I need to pay for weddings in, mm-hmm. um, let's say, I don't know, two years to 15 years, you know, among all my among all my boys. So we want to make sure my medium term goals get met. And then how am I going to plan for retirement? So we, we start looking at our different sources of, of money and how can we make sure that the different things that we're going to need over the course of our life, um, we're going to be able to, to do that. So we, we set financial goals. Um, we talk about investing like you and I just talked about. We go into risk. You and I haven't really spoken much about risk because there's there's definitely more more to do there. Um, and then we talk about creating that portfolio. You know, you and I touched upon it. Some bonds, some stocks. Um, some people might add real estate into their mix. Mm-hmm. People like to buy investment properties because it's something that they really understand. Because we're we're homeowners, we we get that property thing. So, right. And then that can go that can go very very nicely into a portfolio. It's, you know, it's a little bit more challenging to, to start your investments by, by buying a property because just the, the price, the ticket price of, of a property is, is not that 10 bucks a week that you can do or, you know, that 50 cents rounding up that you can do on, on acorns. You need, right. you need a larger investment for that. Um, but yep, we talk about what sorts of assets you would want in your portfolio, which then I move on to retirement planning, like you and I just talked about and how we're going to, Make sure that at 85, I don't have to go back to work because I have enough money. Mm-hmm. You, and then, yeah. And then how to protect ourselves because we want to make sure that in the event of we're incapacitated, God forbid, you know, someone can handle our finances for us. And that, and that might be a time when we're, as we're aging that, yeah, we do want to turn over the management of our portfolio to an investment manager because we can't do it ourselves anymore. We just, you know, we can't do it or we want to turn it over to a child. You know, so we want to make sure that we have that plan in place or the documentation in place, whatever it takes. Um, make sure that their wills, powers of attorney. And then we talk about who do you need on your financial support team, whether it's a financial planner, an investment manager, your lawyer, accountant, like, you know, who are the different support roles that you might uh, want or need on your financial team? And then finally, we go back to the more, um, you know, emotional side of, of managing money. And that's conversations with, with our loved ones, um, spouses, partners, children, parents, you know, all those people in our lives who also have their uh, way of, of managing and dealing with money that might be very, very different from, from how we do it on a, you know, on a, both a nature level and a nurture level. So it's a very, very thorough six months of learning. I, I love it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's 12 live classes. Every month is are two live classes. Um, and in fact, this year, this, this time around, I've added an extra bonus class. It's like, you know, Q&A and talking about how people can make it through the, the holiday season. It's in December. I mean, that's less relevant to those of us in the Jewish world. Um, because, uh, you know, we do have Hanukkah, but it's not that sort of, you know, buying extravaganza 
that the the non-Jewish world has in the end of December. But uh, but we can take those lessons and we can apply them to Pesach or apply them to Rosh Hashanah. Whatever. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Def- all good life lessons. Definitely. Definitely. I I just want to say one last thing. I really think that building wealth and being involved with our money gives us choices. And I think that's a very powerful thing. So if you take anything from this episode is understand that when you take care of your money, you're giving yourself choices to do what you want to do with your life, whether that be giving an immense amount of charity to something that you feel very passionate uh, about or, you know, your children's bar mitzvahs, your children's weddings, traveling, writing that novel that you always wanted to read, whatever those choices might be. I mean, this is what this is allowing you. I mean, this, am I correct, Debbie? I couldn't have said it better myself. Great job. Yep. <laughs> so everyone, please, please. Debbie has a phenomenal offer for Jewish Latin princess readers for her course, Smart Women Build Wealth. Correct, Debbie? That's right. I'm offering your listeners, Yael, a $100 um, discount on the course. Woo-hoo. Yeah, that's, and that's a very good, uh, very smart financial investment. I I would say so. I would definitely say so. That is the best thing you could do. You could really, um, everybody, go on the show notes, find the link. I'm going to put it all very clearly so you could um, sign up for Debbie's Smart Women Build Wealth course. Um, for sure, I'm going to leave Debbie's contact. You could also, also ask her any questions. You could reach out to me to ask me any questions. Take advantage of this opportunity if you've you know, been wondering about investing, if you've been wondering about how to plan for your future, maybe this is the time to take advantage and start doing it. And you could go back to episode eight, please. I encourage you to do that also and hear more about Debbie's, uh, the conversation I had earlier um, last year with Debbie, because um, you'll be fascinated and you'll see that um, a lot of what we talked about, we talked about then, but then we took a different approach. We talked about Debbie and her journey and her credentials and her work. I mean, she's really Phenomenal. So I really encourage you all to go and sign up for Smart Women Build Wealth and take advantage of $100 off the course. Debbie, thank you so much for being back here. This has been amazing. I learned a lot. Thank you, Yael. It's been a real pleasure. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you today. And I really wish all of your, your listeners that they will, as I always say, build a healthy and confident relationship with their wealth. Oh, very, very nice. Thank you, Debbie. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, too. Bye. So what do you think? Did you learn new things? Are things becoming clearer? I hope this was helpful. And like I said on the episode, I hope you understand that as Jewish women, money is not taboo or it shouldn't be a taboo thing. Money is not contrary to living a spiritual life. The opposite. We need money to do what we need to do in this world. It's just a tool from God, the creator. And I talked about further on episode eight with Debbie. But yeah, like I said, money gives you choices. It gives you the choice to take care of your family, to provide them with the quality of Jewish education that you want, to take care of your older parents if you want and need to, to pursue the career that you want or the education that you want or the business that you would like to give immense amounts of charity to those who need and to causes that are dear and near to you. Like Debbie said, taking care of your financial life is an exquisite act of self-care and I couldn't agree more. It is a tremendous act of self-care so that you in turn can make the positive impact that you want in the world. Don't forget that you have a $100 discount waiting for you at Smart Women Build Wealth. Use the code JOP at checkout. 
You can find all this information and more, as well as the link to access the course on the show notes back at jewishlatinprincess.com. Finally, thanks to Debbie Sasson for joining me. Debbie is on Facebook at Debbie Sasson and on her website, debbiesasson.com. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.